as I said last week, we're in this little slot between series, and uh, I took the opportunity last week to talk a little bit about what it means for us to be committed to following Jesus. And then this week, I'm going to preach on a sermon that has been kind of bubbling away in me for a little while, um, because one day I was doing some reading last year and read this passage, and you you know when you read a a text that you've definitely read before, and then suddenly you go, oh, look at that, it's just quite different. Has anyone ever had that experience? Well, it's not telly, We we can respond here, that's fine, yes. Uh, so I had that experience and I thought, oh, I want to preach on that. And I hadn't been able to squeeze it in anywhere else. So now that we've got a little space this Sunday, we're going to do that. But before we do, you're going to have to participate, which is why we have the magic uh, white flip chart here. And my special pen. Okay, so the story we're going to read, uh, it's not a story, but the passage we're going to read Uh, is in uh, the book of Galatians. It's in Galatians chapter 2, and we'll come to it in a minute. But basically, what's going on there is the Apostle Paul has gone up to Jerusalem to meet with the three, uh, you might say, heed bummers of the church. The the three pillars of the church, John, uh, Peter, and James, who's Jesus' brother, who wrote uh, the book of James that we know. And the reason he goes is for 14 years he's been preaching this gospel uh, around uh, the Mediterranean and seeing people come to Jesus. And for some, well, because the Lord led him, he goes to Jerusalem just to check that what he's preaching was acceptable. Okay? Uh, And acceptable to those those elders that were there. And, uh, And so they they sit down and have a conversation and we'll come to exactly what they said uh, later. But he's saying, what are the key things of this gospel that I must not get wrong? So the question for us is, what are the things that should be in the gospel? What must we not miss? Shout them out. There are no wrong answers. Well, that's not true, is it? (laughs) Death and resurrection. Okay, good. Just in general, or of Jesus. Jesus. Okay, that's good. That's good, right? Yeah. What else? Oh, okay. Right. Anything else? I'm sorry. Oh, watch our tongues. Okay. Let's uh... see. Yeah. Good. Interesting, that came at number four. I thought that was going to be the first one. There we go. Yep. Next, anything else? Okay, yeah, good. Sins. Uh, so salvation. What was that, sorry? <laughs> yeah, that matters, doesn't it? That's <laughs> quite important. Good. Jesus is God. Repentance. Forgiveness, I think we said, did we say? Oh, no, we didn't say forgiveness. Okay. The inauguration of the kingdom. <laughs> Thanks. Yep. Yep. Justice and mercy. Yep. Jesus' love. Yep. Yeah, hold on, I can't write that fast. Uh, Jesus' love, 
everlasting life. Oh, come on, Willie. <laughs> We're getting good now. Right? What was that, sorry? Commitment. Okay, great. Uh, Mission. Oh, that, that, finally. Yep, good. Yep. No, that dude, that's good. That's a, it's, a, it's also a posh word. If somebody comes in here, they'll think we're dead smart if they read it, right? That's good. Good news. Good news, okay. Good news. There are two things that are missing. Well, we could put the birth of Jesus in. Do we, uh, uh, we're going to go with the virgin birth of Jesus. Can we go with that? Is that? <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, you can fight with me about that after. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Discipleship. Discipleship. There's still two things missing. Uh, discipleship. Love neighbor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put that under the avoiding health. Oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, we'll put Satan because that is important. Yeah. Two things. I'll give you a hint, right? Baptism. Well done. Well done. Goodness me, I tell you what, I wouldn't have thought I had to work that hard in this church for that one. Baptism. Okay, that wasn't one, but that's good. Uh, now we're getting it. Fulfillment of the church, yeah. <laughs> Worship, uh, justification. The Holy Spirit, yay, well done. Give that man a sweetie. Uh, good. Right. All right. So I, I don't know how many we wrote up there now. Loads. And there were some others shouted out that I didn't write down. Well done. But the simple good news sometimes isn't quite so simple. Eh? There's lots in here. Um, you know, I've, what was that, sorry? I can't. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, yes. Did I not write that down? It is here somewhere. Yes, here. Very important. Absolutely crucial. I've left my Bible in my office. I thought I brought it out. Okay. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to read this passage in Galatians 2. And if you don't have uh, your Bible, then it will appear on the screen because Dougald will click it ahead for us because he's good at that. Uh, Galatians chapter 2. I apologise for not reading from my Bible because that annoys me. Anyway... Uh, just from the beginning of Galatians chapter 2. So Paul has been in Galatians chapter 1 saying, explaining that he is an apostle, that he has been called by God, uh, and he's been telling a bit of his background, his story really, where, how he got saved and then what he did once he got saved. Um, and how he just went straight on to, he went for three years and learned and then he went and preached the gospel. 
And then it says this, it says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time to Barnabas. He had met with, uh, so this time with Barnabas. He had met with Peter previously. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. And meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them and for a moment. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And those who were held in high esteem. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. I love that. Just Paul's like, like they were held in high esteem. I really, I didn't really care who they were. Uh, God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, that is the Jews. For God who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, which is Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So here's this moment in church history. You've got James and Peter and John, these people who had walked with Jesus, who the church has been entrusted to, who have been, who see themselves as those who are looking after the gospel in some senses. They're stewarding the gospel as it begins to spread around the world. And then in comes this guy, Paul, this, this uh, guy who had persecuted the church and who was a really, really learned uh, man. And he was now going around the rest of the Mediterranean telling people this gospel that didn't include you first have to become a Jew. And so eventually Paul has come back to them and he's saying, I just need to check. I just want to check in that what I'm doing is right. Will you check the gospel I'm preaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ? If I was to boil it down to one sentence, is what Paul has come to them and said. And so, and there was some fiery characters in that group. Like they weren't like Christians today who, if we've got something we disagree about, we're very tentative about it often, and we kind of tiptoe around. And we're, well, you know, I, I really wouldn't like to say too much. You know, there are some proper things up here we should have good arguments about. There's not many on that board, but how we work them out, there might be. And we know for a fact that Peter and Paul have previously had a right good bun fight where uh, Paul corrects Peter in his thinking. 
But in this occasion, they've sat down, they've looked at the gospel that he's preaching, and they've said, that's great. And I wonder if their list included a lot of these same things, because, because we know these are the things that Paul preached about, right? Resurrection as the victory of God, sealed de- death, and how sin has now been, Jesus' death, and how it's been, is dealt with sin and the brokenness of all creation, the redemption of all creation, the ingrafting of Gentiles to the people of God, the church as God's new light to the world, and the soul importance of Jesus. All these things we know from Paul's writings are vitally important and these are the kinds of things we've talked about. But they get together, they have this big long conversation. All these super smart people with big personalities. And what's the one thing Because here's the thing, if you were to come to me and say, what's the one thing you must not forget? I I, I might pick the death and resurrection of Jesus. That might be the one for me. Someone else might say, no, the one thing is mission. We're to go, it was Jesus' last words to us. Do not forget that. It might be Jesus is God. That changes everything. Those might be the one things that you would say. The one thing, the one thing they said, do not forget the poor. Continue to remember the poor. I tell you, I read that last year and I, I, it stopped me in my tracks. When they say, when there's all this richness, all these unbelievably important theological ideas... They say, no, none of those. Do not forget the poor. Continue to remember the poor. Profoundly, profoundly important. And completely in line with Scripture. We could go through the Old Testament today if we had time. We would see in Leviticus chapter 19 that God makes provision for the poor. What he says there is that they're not allowed to cut the very edges of their harvest because that there is for the poor. In Leviticus 25, as God continues to give the law, there's an actual imperative that not only are you to provide for the poor, but you have to help the poor. In Psalm 83, we see that it's important for those of us who have power to uphold the cause of the poor. In Proverbs 22, we're told we're not to take advantage of the poor. And those are just four quick examples. There's loads of other stuff all through the Old Testament. Where, and in actual fact, I would say the times that God judges Israel most harshly is because they haven't been taking care of the poor. Where justice has not been done. And then we see that it's also Jesus' concern in Matthew 25. He says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. In Luke 4, when Jesus reads the Isaiah scroll to to kind of set out his manifesto for who he is, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted, give sight to the blind, good news to the poor. The very heart of Jesus' mission. Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable all about serving those who cannot repay you. And then in the earliest church, we see passages in Acts that we'll have a look at in just a moment. But in James 2, this is the same James that has been sat in this council with Paul. 
In James chapter 2, he says we're not to discriminate against the poor. In 1 John, the same John that sat in that meeting. In 1 John 3, 17 and 18, we see that we're supposed to respond to the needs of the poor. I think it's pretty clear that the scriptures and Jesus' life and ministry point us towards the poor. And this early church council said of all the things that you're going to encounter, continue to remember the poor. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? That's what we're going to spend the rest of this time together looking at. So we have this. It still has the reverse advent thing on it. What we're, we're going to keep this. This is our food bank collection. It's a simple thing we can do. And every week during our offering, there'll be the chance to come forward and put in items that are suitable for a food bank. And we will deliver them to our partners, Edinburgh City Mission. That's going to be there every week. I think it might actually be a smaller one, but we'll not worry about that. We'll have one of these here at the front every week. It's not the prettiest thing there's ever been, but it doesn't matter. It says something about the fact that we are committed to caring for the poor. So we want that there every week. But what are the other things? What, what are we supposed to do? Because I don't know about you, but I can sometimes feel... We, we talk about something massive like poverty, and straight away I actually feel quite disempowered because I don't really know what to do. Right? I know there are problems somewhere and somehow, but I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I have three ways that I think we can engage as a church that I want us to talk about today. The first is the care for one another in our church. So it's, it's interesting that most commentators think that when um, that Galatians passage was written, the primary concern was the care for the poor who belonged to the church in Jerusalem in particular. It wasn't exclusively to them, and we shouldn't read it that way, but it definitely included them. So, care for one another in the church. It's really clear in scripture that we're supposed to provide for one another's needs. I have all these passages bookmarked in my Bible that's in my office. Acts chapter 2. When the church begins, we discover that the church had everything in common. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And then if you skip forward to Acts chapter 4 and verses 34, uh, yeah, 32, sorry. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from their sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. The early church cared for one another. 
And that carries on in early church history. If you look through the first probably five centuries of the church, there's a really strong ethos of caring for the poor within the bounds of the church. In fact, it used to be part of the baptismal uh, preparation was that you were to learn how to care for the poor in your community, particularly widows and orphans, was their concern. This church is the challenge to us. First and foremost, when we feel disempowered about what we can do about poverty, look around us. Who is in our church community that's in need? There are people in need in our church, lots of different ways. Not always purely financial, but sometimes it's that way. Can we meet that need? And there are two ways we can meet that need. We can meet it as individuals, and I know there are lots of individuals here who step up and meet needs of people in the church. It's great. The other way we do it is we do it corporately, and we do that too sometimes. So, for example, for right now we're providing meals for um, uh, Sam and Joe and uh, Cheska and their currently still unnamed baby. Um, so we step up and meet a need that's there. Their, their poverty isn't a poverty that they can't afford food, but their poverty is a poverty of time and of energy. Uh, and so we are able to step in and be the church and care for them there. And anyone who wants to get involved with that is welcome to participate. Um, we've stepped up. The church has been brilliant in, in offering help to Bell over these last, uh, this last month or so. I know lots of other circumstances in our church where the church have offered to step in and help out. We're doing well, but there's always a challenge that we just need to make sure that we don't let this drop off our uh, radar. And here's the other challenge, and this in our culture is maybe the hardest one. One of the great challenges about meeting people's needs is we need to know what their needs are. So if you are in need... Let me encourage you to let us know that you're in need. Whatever that need is. And we would love to be able to figure out a way that we can help you with that need. Whatever that looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah? So the first call to love one another is in our church. To meet poverty as it comes to us in a straightforward, face-to-face people in our church. The second one is in the church more widely. So we know from Paul's journeys and from his letters that he was often taking up a collection for churches in other places. So we see it particularly 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, Romans 15. We read of Paul either boasting of other churches who'd been super generous, which I think is a really interesting way to get mere money out of the place that you are just now. They're like, he goes to, he goes to the Roman church, which presumably, and by historical record, would seem to be a relatively wealthy church. And he goes to them and he says, well, you see those Macedonians, eh? Well, I tell you what, they were super generous. And so it's now your time to give. And uh, just let me remind you, those Macedonians, they were super generous. And, uh, and so he's taken up this offering, but it's never for himself. It's always for this wider church, and very often the church in Jerusalem. Um, because at that time, uh, there was a famine in Jerusalem, and a lot of the Christians were really struggling, and so they were meeting those needs. We shouldn't lose that sense of having a responsibility beyond our own four walls in the church and for those in other places. I'm particularly struck that 
the most unreached parts of our nation are often the poorest parts of our nation. So in, in the Scottish schemes, there are very few churches still there, whether that be Church of Scotland, Baptist, or any other kind. There is an organization called 20 Schemes. They're a fascinating bunch of people uh, who are committed to planting churches in the 20 most uh, impoverished uh, schemes in Scotland. They're a brilliant organization. I mean, theologically, they're all over the place compared to us, but that's not the point. They love Jesus. They're desperate for people to come to know Jesus, and they believe that the best solutions in those communities is Jesus. We actually have, they have uh, one big church in Nidri uh, here. Uh, they have another one in Gracemount, and they're in the middle of starting one another one in Magdalen and Bingham. They also have two in Glasgow, two in Dundee, and one in Merkinch in Inverness at the moment. Um, they're a fascinating group of people. We should at very least be praying for them. They are doing really hard work in really hard places. So at the end, I'm going to pray uh, for Mez and the team that uh, run 20 schemes. But maybe as a church, over the course of this year, we need to see what is God stirring us to support? Because here's the other thing. There are some in our Baptist family, in our wider Baptist family, who are in some of these really difficult places already, and they have been for decades. And so we want to think about that as well. And certainly we want to be praying for them. But but should we be taking up a collection to help them? Should we? I'm certainly not given an answer this morning, but I'm saying we must remember this stuff. And so over the course of this year, might we think, who, who in the wider church might we, have we heard about? Who is God bringing to our mind? Who has God brought into our way that actually we might want to think about and figure out how we can participate in giving to their help alleviate their poverty? One more. Poverty in our wider culture. Now, it's absolutely true that for the most part, Scotland is a wealthy nation, right? And if we look at that on a global scale, that feels true and, and is true, you know, like in terms of income and stuff like that. However, we have some desperate, difficult issues with poverty in our nation. Here, this took me about five minutes to put together this information. And it, I, I, I don't want you just to let this wash over you. I want you to try and actually listen to the significance of this. So in our culture, in Scotland, in 2018, 240,000 children, quarter of a million, that's one in five children in Scotland, live in poverty as defined by the United Nations. That's an astonishing number. One in five. We have food poverty in our nation. Most of us are aware of that. That's why we have a food bank here. I don't know if we know the scale of it. There are 202, or in 2018, there were 202 food banks in Scotland. It sounds political, but it's true. You go back a decade, that number was about 20. Not entirely clear whether it was 20 or 30, but it was a much smaller number. And they gave out half a million parcels to people in extreme food poverty. 
This isn't in another land. This isn't anywhere else. This is down the road. Last year, there were 1,187 drug deaths in Scotland. That is the highest in Europe. It's a massive massive issue in our nation right now. And massively related to poverty. And then this last one is astounding. Life expectancy. Um, Life expectancy in Scotland is so bad it has a name. It's called the Scotland effect or sometimes the Glasgow effect. It means that we will on average live two years young live two years less than someone who lives in England. Which kind of you go, okay, that's a couple of years. Let me tell you how that works out though. If you're a male living in Green Dykes or Nidre Mains, then your your life expectancy is sixty three point six years. If you walk the three miles to Newtown your life expectancy is 85 years. Nearly 22 years of a difference. Poverty matters, people. It really matters, and it is right on our doorstep. And all I can hear are James and Peter and John saying, don't forget the poor. Continue to remember the poor. Not a very cheery message. I'd love to finish with a big upbeat. So, but the truth is we need to get our sleeves rolled up. We need to get involved in our local community right here in this building, in this place. Tell people your needs. Come to the leadership and tell people your needs. Whatever they are, if you're having problems paying your bills, let us know. If you're having problems buying your food every week, let us know. If you've got a big debt that's weighing on you, let us know because we can find help for that. There's lots and lots of things we can get involved with to help out. And there are people in our church who are able to meet that. And the church as a whole is able to meet some of those needs. We can do that. We can also begin to just have eyes that says, what, what, what else is God doing in the wider church that maybe we could get involved with? What would that look like? And I, I genuinely don't know. I mentioned a, a couple of things, but it could be anything. What is that? We have a church meeting in early February. Maybe we could talk a little about that there. What's God put on your heart? Who do you know about? What, and we can see where that, where that takes us, right? Wouldn't that be a more exciting church uh, meeting to talk about some of this money that God's given us? Who can we give it away to? Who can we bless? Who can we can encourage? Who can we go and find that are struggling that we can step into? And then these bigger areas in our culture, they're real, they matter. Talk to your politicians. Send them letters, annoy them. You know, do that about these issues because the truth is we can try lots of things to make a difference and we should and we will do this and if we see things in our local community and needs we can meet we will do that but there are people who have been given have been put in positions of power and and we need to bend their ear about these things and say these things matter because we have a voice and one of the things about poverty is it most often removes people's voice nobody listens 
to the poor. So what if we are banging on Tommy Sheridan's door? Uh, I always do that. (laughs) I wouldn't bang on Tommy Sheridan's door. It's pointless. He's a nobody now. Tommy Shepard's door, however, might be useful. Or Ash Denham, who is a local MSP. uh, Or any of the other MSPs who, who are our list MSPs. Get in touch with them if you want. Let them know, our local councillors, if there's an Edinburgh issue, tell them that there's an issue here. We want you to do something about it. The more of us that do it, the more that they'll be forced to listen because they need votes. You know, like that's just the way it works. But that can feel disempowering because it feels far off. But there are lots of things we can do. As we love and serve Jesus, as we love our neighbours as we are on mission, as we are people who are being discipled and learning these unforced rhythms of grace that Jesus is teaching us. As we know our own salvation and as we have hope, we get the opportunity to express that in profoundly practical ways as we continue to remember the poor. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you, your heart is expressed in a deep care for those who are the lost and the least in the world's eyes. And so, Lord God, I, I pray that you would help us to have the same heart and the same mind and the same eyes that we might see and never forget those who are in poverty. In our local church here, in the wider church, and in our culture. Lord, we pray for those who are on the front line of dealing with that. We, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in the 20 Schemes Project. Thank you for the work that they are doing. Lord God, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in uh, Baptist churches around our nation. Who have intentionally gone to live in areas of significant poverty in order to bring the good news of Jesus and the hope of the gospel to them. And Lord, for those in power over us, both here in Edinburgh, the Scottish Parliament and at Westminster, Lord, we pray that they would have a heart for the poor, that they would look and see the kinds of issues I've mentioned this morning and, and that they would, they would do all that they are able to to see that situation turned around. And Lord, where there is, there are, the work of the enemy is at work in evil principalities and powers that are strengthening and making some of this just really evil. Lord, we want to come against that in the name of Jesus. We want to stand as a church and say that we reject the lies that have been spoken over areas of our city. We reject the... the, the The expectation that that these places will never become anything. And we want to speak life and hope to these places. We want to see your will be done. We want to see your kingdom come. We pray that there would be no more drug deaths. We pray that the children in poverty would be lifted out of it. That those who have no food would have food. And Lord, I rejoice that one day that will be true. That one day you will come and make all things well, Lord. But in this moment, let your kingdom come. 
and let your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen.